Pete Callender uh, out of Western North Carolina. He's under another winter storm uh, warning uh, this morning, uh, along with uh, much of the state uh, west of I-95. He hosts the Pete Callender podcast. You can find out more about what he does at thepetecallendershow.com. Pete, it's a pleasure, my friend. I hope you're doing well. Good morning. I, I am. Good morning. How are you? Uh, we're hanging tight. Uh, another windy, cold, nasty uh, day here on the coast. Uh, <laughs> but got- we're not under snow or ice, so yeah. I'm happy with that. Yeah, we're waiting to see if any of this stuff turns to ice here. That's the concern. The snow is one thing. We can handle the snow. It's uh, it's the ice that even if you get about you know a tenth of an inch or a quarter of an inch, it's treacherous. So we're kind of just uh, where everything's operating on uh, a delayed schedule today. And we'll see. It's not it's not like Texas. Thank God. It's not as bad as what's happening in Texas right now. But um, which, by the way, have you seen all of the the political point scoring going on right now? Like uh, Democrats and uh, and lefties are all like, oh, look at the, the Republicans in Texas. Look at how they screwed up everything. And like, I kind of want to remind folks in North Carolina, particularly, you know, our governor here hasn't exactly uh, done a fantastic job with his hurricane response. I I think like how the Hurricane Matthew folks that lost their homes down uh, down near you, like, uh, do they even have their homes rebuilt yet? I think South Carolina's done rebuilding after Hurricane Matthew, and it's been like five years. So uh, has Cooper gotten through all of the build yet? I'm not sure. You know, and that just started to stick to him a bit, uh, and then Hurricane Florence hit, and everyone forgot about uh, Hurricane Matthew uh, from several years ago, and it was the town of Fairbluff in Columbus County uh, that he visited after all these news stories started to break uh, that, uh, you know, uh, we were completely yeah, out of our uh, you know, playing field when it came to getting relief money out to the people who need it. This is kind of par for the course. Actually, Pete, I was wondering, you know, uh, no reporters have yet brought up uh, the fact that uh, outside uh, residents uh, from the state of North Carolina have been getting vaccinated here in North Carolina and going to mass vaccination sites. I'm wondering, you know, how folks feel that their elderly grandparents may have had their appointments uh, canceled or having to be rescheduled uh, so out-of-state residents could come into these Mm -hmm. mass vaccination sites at the tune of 27,000 of them uh, to get their shots uh, for the uh, COVID vaccine. So, uh, well, look, you could just consider them to be teachers and they got to the front of the line. Okay. Like if we just, you know, if you, if you want to be able to sleep easier at night, look, I'm of the opinion that I want the needles to go into as many arms as possible. And so uh, if the governor and uh, the DHHS has figured out a way or if their system allows for more people to get it, then I'm generally going to be okay with that. I do think there needs to be prioritization of the most vulnerable. So there is concern about that. But as long as the people who are getting the vaccines are, uh, you know, over the age of uh, 65, then I'm I'm. I'm not going to get too outraged over it because those are the most vulnerable uh, in the population. So I, I'm like, I know there's going to be like there was 27,000, I think, uh, that you mentioned. But when you look at the overall number, it's it's a very small percentage. So I, 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 I don't get too worked up about it. Pete Callender is with us uh, here this morning. Pete, you had the opportunity to jump on the airwaves across uh, parts of the state this week what was kind of the topic uh, du jour uh, when uh, discussing North Carolina politics? Well, <laughs> I kind of, well, yeah, it was the, well, it was the censure vote, you know, obviously you, you discussed it uh, as well, like the, the censure vote that occurred uh, of uh, U.S. Senator Richard Burr. That was uh, a big topic. And uh, I kind of, 
I may have caused some uh, rippling effects here when I said, like, I I tend to be of the Mitch McConnell mindset. And I view this as a uh, as a consistent position, by the way, because I was railing against Democratic leaders when they refused to condemn and they dismissed the concerns about uh, the violence that was occurring over the last year. Right. We had Black Lives Matter Antifa people that were out there protesting. They were attacking police officers. They were trying to burn down government buildings. Right. They attacked the White House. Right. Like I'm old enough to remember that insurrection attempt. Right. So when all of that was occurring and you had Democrats that were egging them on, um, I condemn that. That's wrong because I view politics as the last stop to settle our differences before it resorts to violence. And if you're okay with political violence to advance an agenda. I'm not going to sign on to that campaign. I'm, I'm just not going to, because there's no turning back from there. You can't say, uh, let's let's engage in violence. Okay, but now we'll stop. Because once the once you open the, the Pandora's box, you're that's the path you're on. So uh, I've been opposed to that. I've, I've condemned it. That being said, I think Donald Trump's actions since the election did, in fact, inspire people to follow him, right? Because that's what leaders do. We have to be responsible for what we say when we have these large platforms. And he gave the impression, he gave people the uh, the courage to behave poorly. Now, I'm not saying that what he did rises to the legal level of incitement. And I don't think um, that he should have been convicted of impeachment for uh, on the charge. But I do think he does hold some moral responsibility, exactly like the Democrats do. Now, if you want to argue that Trump doesn't and Democrats do, that to me sounds like an inconsistent standard. I'm not going to adopt that. It makes it much easier for me personally if I can adopt consistent standards. And sometimes it puts me at odds with people that I agree with on virtually everything else. But so be it. Well, with that, uh, I find it kind of, uh, well, maybe irony and ironic is uh, the word to be used, is that oftentimes is the case, uh, folks, uh, in your role uh, where we stand here behind the microphone and with the viewpoints that, that lean towards the right side of the you know, political spectrum, why is it so easy for people like you and me to call you know, our own out uh, while those on the other side you know, remain extremely silent uh, when one of theirs goes astray? It is, it's definitely easier to call out bad behavior among your opponents. Um, it's way easier to do than to call out your allies because we all recognize that in the culture war, we need as many allies as possible, right? And so when you are calling out your own ally, there is a perception that it makes your side weaker. And uh, because now you're, you know, you're, you're criticizing one of your own and it gives aid and comfort to the opponents. And I get that. I do. I, I totally understand. And so like my approach to avoiding that is to try to not give people a reason to try to kick me to the curb as an ally, right? Like that's that's how I approach. I try not to do things and say things that, that are indefensible. Uh, and so this way it avoids people having to make that decision when it comes to me. Um, there, the, the apparatus that is in place that protects Democrats, namely the legacy media outlets uh, and the, the government education system, right? That all of this stuff kind of uh, this infrastructure is built around protecting a certain narrative. And so uh, they they find it very difficult to criticize their own allies and um, they find it very easy to attack their opponents. And for a long time, Republicans would just say, OK, 
I agree with you. We'll cave. We'll kick this person out of our movement. And I think a lot of people are fed up with that double standard. And I get that, too. And that's why a lot of people are willing to defend a lot of, like in this case, Donald Trump's actions. They're willing to defend things he's done and said, as well as others, because they're tired of being the one that always caves. And I I totally understand that. But I think when you are uh, when you're in a position of leadership and you have people that follow you based on what you say, that it is incumbent upon you to take responsibility for the things that you say and the impact that they have. Uh, again, I don't think he should have uh, been convicted on the impeachment charge uh, because I don't think it was the proper setting. I don't think you can impeach or should. I don't think the Senate should be able to convict somebody who's a private citizen. If you want to go after him, go after him in a court of law. I don't think you're going to have much luck because I don't think what he did rises to the legal standard of incitement. So, but I mean, if that's the way they want to go, then that's the way they should go. But it shouldn't be uh, impeaching private citizens. And ultimately, you know, this is uh, the the great, uh, you know, uh, stirring of the pot within uh, those on the right, the Republican Party as a whole, in that uh, many people, you know, align on, like you said, 90, 95 percent of the issues. Yeah. uh, But it's those five percent that we're always tussling over. And then, of course, because of that, we cave. And then the opposite side of the political spectrum, always able to gain a a more bigger piece of the pie every time they get an opportunity to do so, because now they'll follow each other off the bridge well, and uh, have no problem doing it. And that's I think that speaks to sort of the 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 general characteristics of people on the right versus the left. I think there's a lot more conformity on the left than on the right. I think there's a lot more uh people on the right that uh you know they they we're it's like herding cats, right? And so like there and there are pros and cons to that. <laughs> so uh, I like the fact that that there can be a lot of different uh disagreement of idea, you know, about ideas and such inside uh, like on the right. I'm, I, I like that. I don't like what happens on the left, where if you disagree with a single thing, then you get banished. You know, you get canceled by uh, by everybody on the left. And now nobody talks to you anymore. So I'm not I'm not cool with that. Uh, I like I like having the disagreements uh, and the individuality on the right. Now, I did have the chairman, uh, Michael Watley, the chairman of the Republican Party on. We talked about the censure vote. And my question was, is the juice worth a squeeze on this? And I don't think it was to have the censure vote of Richard Burr, because uh, first off, he's retiring, right? He's not running again. So what what was the point of this vote? Because all you did basically was give Democrats and the media, but I repeat myself, uh, you know, a 48 hour window to just beat the tar out of you. And what was gained for that? I don't understand what what was the benefit to just to register displeasure with Richard Burr. OK, so uh, point taken. People are not happy with Richard Burr's vote. Okay, but what's the trade-off? The trade-off was two news cycles of being called hypocrites and getting bashed for it. And what the point there is that it creates this uh, this this cloud around people who do not want to be associated with that cloud. And while a lot of people on the right, the you know the activist folks may not care about the cloud, there are a lot of people that are not into politics twenty four seven. They do care about the cloud, and that's why you're seeing a lot of these voters uh, change their party registration from Republican. And I say that by the way as a registered unaffiliated. I'm not a registered Republican. I just don't know if the juice was worth the squeeze on that censure vote. Senator Richard Burr, of course, what, 25 years in Congress, finishing up now his third six-year term as, uh, you know, our U.S. Senator, you know, alongside Senator Tillis. 
Good luck trying to get him on the phone, by the way, as, <laughs> as someone who has sent multiple inquiries over the better part of four years yeah. uh, and has not even got so much of a response. And I think that's what many Republicans, particularly, yep. you know, lean towards uh, the Trumpsters within the GOP have had a beef with him is that he's pretty non-existent, uh, seems to enjoy his lifestyle up in Washington, D.C. with his little tr- car that he drives around and, uh, you know, no socks in, mm-hmm. in his loafers. And uh, the fact that he dumped off about, uh, what, a million plus dollars of stock uh, just before the uh, COVID-19 pandemic hit uh, in the hospitality industry, all that kind of adds up as somebody who feels extremely disappointed, maybe not just in the vote. Maybe that was just the cherry on top as True. far as, you know, I, you call them out. True. Yeah, and, and, and I get all of that. But none of that was in the censure vote. Right. It was only about the impeachment vote. And I agree with you. I think there's a lot of stuff about Senator Burr that was involved in people's <laughs> animosity towards him that manifested itself in that vote. I, I agree. Um, and uh, same boat, by the way, what your experience getting Senator Burr for an interview. <laughs> I have heard that throughout the entire state. Hosts and reporters everywhere, they all say the same thing. Unless he's running for re-election and it's close and he needs to be on the air, he doesn't talk to you. He doesn't do media. And uh, I think that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. I, I, I totally agree. Uh, but I don't know if a censure vote and giving and, – and by the way, on the stock tips thing, that's a great point also because remember the Democrats wanted this guy – thrown out of office he they wanted him charged they wanted him arrested right this guy was satan incarnate a year ago and now we're treated to you know glowing uh praise and op-ed singing his praise from the same people that said he was terrible so like i find uh, i find just a lot a lot of the story to be distasteful Pete Callender with us here this morning. He hosts the daily podcast covering statewide national news at the Pete Pete, you had a chance this week to catch up with our Lieutenant Governor, Mark Robinson. Yes. Uh, what a story, of course. Uh, what were some of the things he had to say about getting uh, accustomed to his new uh, threads uh, as uh, the head of the Senate and uh, you know, as the state's first black lieutenant governor? So, yeah, we talked a little bit about um, you know how he's settling into the role and whether he expected it to you know it, whether it is what he expected it to be. And he said it was. Um, and uh, he's he's. And like me, <clears throat> walks towards the fight. If you're in this arena, you got to walk towards the fight. If you're not willing to walk towards the fight and do battle, then you shouldn't be in the arena. It's one of the criticisms I have about a lot of political reporters that they pretend they're not participants in the arena when, in fact, they are. Anyway, so uh, Lieutenant Governor Robinson was talking about that, and he talked about the first big fight that he's had to um, to wage is on the you know the social studies standards and history standards that got adopted by the school board uh, about two weeks ago now. And this was, you know, he says, look, they're they're essentially trying to, as John Hood put it, smuggle critical race theory into the curriculum and they're doing it through these standards. And so we discussed uh, that in the cartoon that WRAL's parent company paid a social studies teacher to draw depicting Robinson as a Klansman. <laughs> Oh, boy. Again, we want to talk about the double standards. You know, yeah. Let's flip it around. We find a conservative cartoonist who you know, draws a, a donkey, you know, an ass uh, with a, a Ku Klux Klan hood on. Uh, what would happen if that were to, you know, if you found a, a cartoonist out in the mountains uh, that wanted to pen a, a, a satire cartoon like that? What would the reaction be on that? <laughs> well, yeah, and that's the, the, the worst part to me is that 
Well, there are a couple of worst parts, I guess. So I guess there's a, there are varying degrees of worst parts. So you've got, number one, the guy's a social studies teacher. Number two, that a television station is employing a political cartoonist in the first place. I don't understand that. Uh, and number three... The whole thing is a lie because the Klan outfit, it says on the front of the guy of the elephant's chest, you know, Republican uh, school board members. And he's making this argument that they're trying to to cancel all of the racism from our history so we don't teach it. And that's literally not what Republicans are arguing. They all to a person said, don't, you know, cover up the bad. We just want there to be balance. And that then gets twisted by media to mean well, you want to just erase all of the racism and Jim Crow and everything else when they literally said, don't do that. So they draw this lie that the Republicans are Klan's members, a black Republican, a Native American, Lumbee tribe member Republican, uh, another Republican who's on a charity that won the Martin Luther King Dream in Action <laughs> Award. Right. So these are the people they're calling Klansmen. And uh, and it's in service that that smear is in service to a lie because they're not trying to erase America's history just uh, continues the narrative uh, one extra day at a time. Pete, let me ask you, as far as the legislative business goes up in Raleigh, we had a bill that was passed yesterday that uh, would require local school districts uh, to uh, you know, force their hand and provide an option for in-person instruction. Uh, I've been of the thought process that uh, you know best decisions are made local, but when the local association of educators chapter or others uh, within you know these districts uh, are holding out uh, to uh, you know whatever it is, uh, holding out for as long as they can, uh, then claiming that the resources aren't there when we just passed another bill that allocates what over 1.6 billion dollars yeah. to school resources. Uh, this is just a, a big mess up at the North Carolina General Assembly. Yeah, it's it's fun to be back in business or in <laughs> session, as uh, we could put it up in, up in Raleigh these days. Plenty to talk about. Right. Well, so first off, as a conservative uh, like you, limited government folks, we tend to uh, prefer local control. Absolutely. But this is, and you usually see this criticism get lobbed when a local jurisdiction tries to do something egregious, and then the left will come out and say, well, I thought you were for local control. Uh, well, we are, but that's not the superior principle. Local control does not solve everything. Local control is not the thing that makes a conservative a conservative. It is a pillar. It's part of it. It's not the only thing. So if a local jurisdiction is doing something illegal, I'm not for local control then. That would be absurd, right? And so the state in its constitution is required to provide a sound basic education, and the state lawmakers have decided you're not doing that without an in-person option. So we're going to force you to at least offer it. Now, they could have said you have to make everybody go back to school, but they didn't do that, right? They they still are allowing school districts to implement this how they can as they see fit. I have no problem with the, the school or the state telling school districts to make this accommodation for parents that want this option. And by the way, I would point out, are you aware of any other group that is demanding a vaccine before they go back to work besides the teachers union? There isn't one. They're the only group out there that's demanding that they get vaccinated before going back to work. The teachers union has pressured these local school boards and they've been uh, paralyzed. The boards have been paralyzed out of fear of retribution from these teachers union, particularly in the uh, the larger districts. And so and you know, this is the case because as soon as Governor Cooper made the announcement urging districts to reopen, what happened? A lot of them all of a sudden said, you know what? OK, maybe we will do this. 
because they got political cover from Cooper. Now, does he veto this bill? I think he's going to have a news conference today. Uh, he's going to get asked about it. Does he veto the bill and uh, and then make the, the legislature override it? Because now enough Democrats uh, are supporting it. I don't know. We're going to have to see. Well, in other parts of the country, uh, and uh, granted, this is uh, you know like another uh, country. You know, when we talk about the Pacific Northwest uh, of uh, the good old U.S. of A., I caught an article here this morning. Uh, you know, you could uh, trip out, uh, do a bunch of blow, and uh, you know, a little slap on the wrist, and uh, make sure you don't do it again. Just do it inside your home. Uh, Oregon is vaccinating teachers, but it might not be enough to reopen schools. So you know, <laughs> this may be on the horizon. Uh, you know. Uh, a discussion that will be happening um, probably sooner than later, you know, here in this state and across many others like it. Uh, Pete, before I let you go, I caught your podcast from yesterday, and you were also discussing redistricting. And we know that with this delay in the U.S. census, that we've got odd year elections, meaning our city of Wilmington will be having uh, a council race this year. We have a mayoral race. We've got uh, other municipalities that will be having uh, elections this off year. They may be delayed into uh, 2022 <laughs> because of the census delay. We've got redistricting. We've got a whole bunch of stuff going on right now. So the real challenge for you and for me is to talk about redistricting in a way that doesn't put people immediately to sleep. Right. Like that's the, <laughs> that's the real challenge here. But because it, it does matter a lot. So you do the census. Right. They do the count. They do the apportionment of the seats and all. Uh, but that has been delayed because of all the covid and such. And so now they're uh, they're on this delay. And now you're supposed to have the maps drawn. And like you said, for these local races, uh, they needed the census done so they could build their ballots and. Yeah, so they're going to end up they may end up running these elections in 2022, which presents all different problems then, because, you know, how do you get oxygen to your campaign when you're in a, uh, you know, a national election and the 2022 election is going to be crazy in North Carolina, as it always is. Well, you got U.S. Senate race, uh, you know, Richard Burr's seat's going to be uh, up for grabs and you got all the legislative seats as well. So it's yeah, it's it's going to be a wild ride. Should be uh, fun. I mean, it's almost like uh, you don't have to do much show prep uh, these days. Just turn <laughs> on the computer, look at the inbox, and uh, you know, uh, turn up the microphone. It's, don't tell uh, everyone that. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> well, it's just uh, that's not to say we don't have loads and loads of notes and thoughts uh, that are uh, put down, uh, you know, uh, through the laptop uh, and communication that is ongoing. But uh, it's uh, quite fun to be involved in this. Lastly, before I let you go. We talked about the status of you know, where the Republican Party is at, the constant divide, obviously with the passing of Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. Uh, my thought on all of this, you know, on, on the political right, we know where the left is going. On the political right side of the spectrum, uh, this is uh, you know, a rebirth that's uh, ongoing. You know, the old uh, guard within the Republican Party nationally is no longer there. Trump kind of gave the GOP a, a bit of an enema. Uh, cleaning house, you know, the Bushes are no longer there. The McCain's uh, you know, are no longer there. You know, the the, the Romneys no longer have you know the influence, uh, particularly among certain parts of the Republican Party. And then you know, a big gap uh, through the talk uh, format, obviously with Rush Limbaugh. Uh, this is a, a again another you know very unique time uh, to you know have this uh, points of view that we have on that center right and be able to get it out and impact truly uh, the future of what the Republican party and you know conservative leaning media looks like yeah well and nobody doing what you do or what i do and have done you know for our careers i would not have a career uh were it not for rush limbaugh 
And so even if I didn't agree with him, which I, I did, but even if I didn't, I would recognize what he has done for people in uh, in this business because AM radio was, you know, dead. And he comes along and uh, and rejuvenates it and, you know, gives birth to this entire industry. Um, and now, obviously, the, the media landscape has changed. It's uh, more... Uh, uh, individualized. Uh, you know, I could never have done, and I know this because I looked at doing it 10 years ago. It was very difficult, cost prohibitive to do your own show. Now you can um, because the technology and the internet platforms. Uh, and so it's just, it's a whole new world. And I think that uh, what Limbaugh did was he allowed people to recognize that they're not alone. There are a lot of people that, that think the way we do. And, um, and that you, you, if you are armed properly with the information, you can do battle you can win these arguments which by the way it's one of the reasons why i try to bring all of the um the opposing views into the debate because i want people to be best prepared for when they encounter it you know at the thanksgiving table or uh or on their facebook page with their you know mom and dad or something i want them to be able to to have to have heard the arguments and know the arguments and be able to rebut them and that's i think what limbaugh empowered people to do Pete Callender with us uh, here this morning, uh, host of the Pete Callender podcast. You can find out more about what he does at the PeteCallenderShow.com. Extended conversation with our friend from uh, the mountains this morning. Pete, thanks a lot. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. The PeteCallenderShow.com. Good stuff uh, from Western North Carolina, connecting the mountains to the coast uh, twice or so a month here on the Big Talker 106.7 FM.